welcome to episode 187 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. Merry Christmas! Oh, 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 Merry Christmas indeed. Uh, Manny, we are continuing the tradition of doing a Christmas movie every year. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we've already reviewed Die Hard with a Vengeance. So we yeah. we needed to come up with a new movie. Obviously, in years past, we have reviewed the Die Hard movies. Yeah, for our Christmas movies. Now we couldn't do Die Hard with a Vengeance because it's not set at Christmas. Yeah, but you know, isn't any movie a Christmas movie <laughs> if you believe? <laughs> so we decided to do a different movie. Can I just say that this choice, while it is objectively a fantastic movie. It could not have been worse than last year's. Last year we reviewed... Was it Die Hard 2 last year or was that the year before? Uh, last year. In my head, yeah, Die Hard 2 was last year. 2020. You and I took a big old shit on that movie. Yeah. And I think it was just one of those days where we were tired. The Christmas season had gotten to us. December is both of our busy season at both of our respective jobs. And we were just in the mood to tear something asunder. Yeah. And granted, I don't feel that movie needed to be ripped apart as bad as we probably did. Probably not. But at the time, I definitely felt that way. Probably did. Yeah. yeah. A couple of twos for Die Hard 2, I believe. No, no. No? No. I gave it a three. Oh, I gave it a two for sure. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, this year, uh, well, hopefully, will be a little bit different. Because this year, we are talking about the all-time classic it's a Wonderful Life from 1946, I want to say. Seven. 1947, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, a movie which, upon its initial release... Oh, 46. 46? Good. We were talking about the 47 Oscars. I think that's why you thought it was 47. Oh, no. You know why I, I said 47? Huh. Is it... Um, <laughs> it got a limited release in 46, so it was eligible for the Oscars. Oh, the, the wide release in January of 1947. That's why. January of 1947? Yeah. Oh, man, that's that's terrible. That's terrible timing for this movie. It's a Christmas movie. I know. Well, no wonder it bombed at the box office. Yeah. That's so unfortunate. Yeah. Frank Capra, the director of this movie, has said that it is, I think he said it's his favorite movie that he ever directed. Correct. And it's a delightful movie. I guess spoilers for when we actually get into it, but I can't see any reason why this would have bombed at the box office, but the date makes a ton of sense i think it was also if i'm not mistaken i think it was released on the same weekend as um the uh, the oscar winning film of that year oh yeah you and i were looking over the oscar list from this year before we came on air and yeah. uh what was the name of the movie that won that year best years of our lives yeah and that just cleaned up yeah, one seven seven of the eight oscars it was nominated for yeah so uh, hopefully this movie is better than that one but uh guess i mean i guess we'll find out well, yeah. we'll i mean oh. i guess we won't because i'm not going to see that other movie probably anytime soon not anytime maybe soon. never <laughs> maybe i'll watch it strictly because of the movie that beat it's a wonderful life for best picture true <laughs> today's film that we're discussing for our christmas movie and while this is our fourth year of the podcast it is only our third annual christmas movie did we forget one one year or something it was the second year of the podcast we were too busy to actually do anything in December. I think we were, you know what I remember actually? We were going to do a double feature the first year, Die Hard 1 and 2. 
No, I don't. I don't remember that. No. Oh, no, maybe I just keep, keep going. Though. Maybe I just watched both. Keep but going. I definitely watched both, and we only wound up reviewing Die Hard one. Uh, the following year, I believe we intended to watch Die Hard two. I watched it again, and we just never got around to it. The way I remember it is we always only were going to do Die Hard for the first one, mm. and in the episode title i don't put the title of the of the christmas movie to keep it a surprise Mm -hmm. so they have to unwrap the present am i gonna do that for this one as well maybe i don't know did you do it for die hard 2 i did okay like it doesn't say die hard 2 i think it says our christmas special oh okay so should i keep that tradition alive sure why not you would think this is the kind of thing we would discuss off air but we're flying by the seat of our pants here we're also like pressed for time and and we're both a little tired exactly uh so the first year we jokingly, we jokingly said we're going to do Die Hard as our Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Our plan the following year was to do Die Hard two again, like not again, but that was that was a plan. But as it got closer and we had realized how difficult it was for us to record in December our first year, we're just like we can't Skip do it. it. We can't do it. We recorded one episode in December mm-hmm. of that year, which was Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Uh, what an episode it was. So we took we took December off in 2019. In 2020, we kind of got in the rhythm and we had decided to continue. Well, we thought we could make it work. And, and yeah, we released we released some, I think. Uh, well, we re- we we went right through. Yeah. We did the we finished the Back to the Future trilogy. Mm-hmm. We pre-recorded Die Hard 2, our Christmas special, mm-hmm. and then we did Casablanca. Right. So we had, we, I think we purposely picked movies we really wanted to do to give us the incentive to do them in December. Yeah. Well, didn't we, didn't we pre-record Casablanca and Die Hard 2 and Place Beyond the Pines? Didn't we pre-record oh, all right. three? Yes. That makes sense. You could pre-record yeah, I can all three. see it now. We, pre- we pre-recorded Casablanca in October. Mm-hmm. I don't see where we pre-recorded the Place Beyond the Pines, though. Mm, I have it November, mid-November. In mid-November? And then Die Hard 2 at the end of November. Okay, so this is actually the first year we're going to try and record in December. <sighs> Good luck us. Yeah. But we pick movies we want to do <laughs> on purpose. Yeah. And then we're, for the second time, trying a new format Yeah. for one episode. Consistency is not our strong suit no. over here at the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. But the as we just wasted several minutes on what is probably going to be a long episode and a late night for both of us. Anyways, this year's Christmas movie that you said is a classic, easily a classic, as this movie is number 11 on the AFI Top 100. Yeah. It's A Wonderful Life. Released January 7th, 1947. Limited release in 1946 to be eligible for the Oscars. Uh, Directed by Frank Capra. Uh, written by Frank Capra, Francis Goodrich, and Albert Hackett, starring Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed, and Lionel Barrymore, has a meta score of 89. Uh, it went 0 for 5 at the Oscars. Uh, was nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor for Jimmy Stewart, Best Director for Frank Capra, Best Sound, and Best Film Editing. It had a budget of $3.1 million at the time. Adjusted, that is $38.5 million. And it grossed $6 million. Dollars adjusted that seventy four point four million dollars. That's a little low. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're probably aware of this, but for the listeners maybe who aren't, this movie has a bit of a, shall we say, a legend behind it. Where, as I mentioned earlier, it was not a hit at the time. 
Uh, this movie basically bombed so much, in fact, that Frank Capra didn't even bother to... Or maybe it wasn't Frank Capra's decision. I think it might have been the studio. They studio. didn't bother to renew the copyright on it. They didn't because that would have cost money. And they're like, you know what? This thing was such a bomb at the time that uh, that there's no there's no point. And uh, lo and behold, the movie got a second wind uh, as TV networks realized, hey, there's this there's this cool family movie uh, that we can air around Christmas royalty free because they did not renew the copyright on it. It's part of the public domain. So over time, this movie became a staple in households all over North America mm -hmm. uh, because TV stations were able to play it for free yep. at, at Christmas time. And they did regularly. And uh, lo and behold, it has elevated itself to number 11 on the AFI's top 100 movies of all time. If you had asked me where this movie was in the AFI... I would not have guessed 11. Not 11. No. And in all honesty, I don't think it's worthy of that high. Me neither. I don't either. I should uh, state here that this movie did make my top 20 of all time. It did. It 14? 13, 13. From, from what I could tell. So this movie has some high praise yeah. upon it. 11. By, by a, lot of different, a lot of different sources. All right. Plot. An angel is sent from heaven to help a desperately frustrated businessman by showing him what life would have been if he had never existed. Sam, this is one of your all-time favorite movies. Why don't you give us your spoiler-free thoughts on It's a Wonderful Life? So like so many of you listening to this, I assume, I grew up on It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, the movie has always resonated with me. Something about the messaging of it, the unapologetically optimistic ending, uh, has always it's always struck such a such a tone in the Christmas season, such a perfect tone uh, that it just makes it the perfect Christmas movie. It's about family and friendship and goodwill towards man and uh, sacrifice even and something about the messaging in it has always made it such a perfect Christmas classic both for me and uh, for others. I will say uh, as I get older, and a little bit more in tune with capital F film, there are aspects of this movie that I will concede makes it um, not unimpeachably great. So that is to say, there are things I don't like about this movie, and we'll, we'll definitely touch on those. Interesting. Um, but this is one that I grew up on, uh, much like the last movie Manny and I talked about. <laughs> it's, it's one that I grew up on and has always been close to me. I know this is one of my dad's favorite movies as well, so he and I used to always watch this together in the Christmas season. Um, and there are a couple of incredibly emotional moments in the movie. Um, I'll, I'll say, actually, while we're in non-spoiler, uh, one of the things that I find weird about this movie, the more I watch it, is it's a little bit oddly paced, isn't it? Mm. It's a very strangely paced movie where uh, we don't actually meet Clarence until I was watching this on Blu-ray and I had the little time indicator. We don't see Clarence's face until one, the one hour, 38 minute mark. This is how long, Manny? 2.10. Clarence is a, is a pretty big part of this movie and to introduce him half hour from the end and, you know, the, begin the sequence for which this movie is famous, <laughs> it feels odd to yeah. me and i've realized that probably the last two or three times i've watched this movie i'm like 
that's a it's a, a bit of a, a head scratcher of a decision, but it's not even necessarily about that. It's, the movie is called It's a Wonderful Life. It's about George Bailey's life. It's about a man who is desperate for adventure and to see the world and wants to get out of his crummy little hometown and uh, through happenstance uh, does not manage to get out and considers himself a failure because of it. And we, the audience, go on a journey with him to realize that... Uh, Life, his life is wonderful after all. So that's where I'll leave it in non-spoiler. This is an incredibly emotional, unapologetically optimistic movie, and I continue to love it. This movie's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if I've actually met somebody that has seen this movie and not liked it. Hmm. If somebody watches this movie and doesn't like it, that would probably hurt my heart and have me worried about them. Yeah. It is a classic. This I actually didn't grow up watching this movie. Hmm. I didn't watch this movie until I was in my 20s. And it just wasn't a, a movie that my family played at Christmas. I remember the first time watching it being an emotional wreck at the end. I, I, was, I cry regularly I during this movie. ill-prepared for that ending. Despite how famous the ending is it i'm just gonna throw this out there i don't think this is controversial one of the great movie endings of all time yeah certainly one of the great happy endings of all time i would agree uh your phrase of unapologetically optimistic is uh, a perfect encapsulation of this film uh this is the movie everyone thinks of when they say capra-esque is how positive and reaffirming this movie is I'm really looking forward to breaking this movie down. There's a lot to like. I'm very intrigued at the parts you mentioned that you feel you didn't really like. So mm -hmm. let's dive into it. Spoilers for It's a Wonderful Life, a 74-year-old film. Mm -hmm. About to come up. Actually, no, 75. 75. 75th anniversary. Perfect. Wow. Wow. Look at us go. Nice. <laughs> it's like we planned it. We didn't, but it's like we did. Yeah prayers for it's a wonderful life three can i say the f word for it's a wonderful life i think you can i guess i, got I mean okay. you can say hot dog if you want but i think that'd be probably a little much i wish for a million dollars hot dog <laughs> spoilers for it's a wonderful life in three two one go fuck yourself quick start with the stars talking simple special effect mm -hmm. first time Works just fine. It's quaint. Quaint. Ooh. Yeah. It's nice. It's cozy. Sets things up just fine. We're introduced uh, to uh, George Bailey as a, as a child. They, much like you said, the title of the movie is It's a Wonderful Life. And this is what they're doing. They are showing George Bailey's life the choices he's made, the impact he's had. So when he makes, when Clarence shows him, it really truly resonates a lot more. Mm -hmm. And then it truly hits you with the ending. So the first thing he does is he saves his brother from dying. But at a cost. His hearing loss. Um... It's fine. 
the young boy playing the young Harry, I like that I it's not that he looks similar to Jimmy Stewart, but they act similar. Yeah, definitely. They have they have the same sort of dynamic. That there's a lot of child actors in this opening, let's call it twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Um and they I think they did a good job. It, I think most of this goes on Frank Capra. Mm-hmm. Uh for casting the right children and communicating the characters to them properly. In particular, um, the actress who plays young Violet, yes. I think, is uh, is such a, a fun highlight of the of the early portion of the movie. I she, didn't like the slut shaming. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's. Let's be clear, of this right out the gate. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this movie uh, that is very 1940s. Oh, 100 percent. Like the fact that in Jimmy Stewart's worst imagination of what Bedford Falls could become. There's a couple of gin joints and some casinos. Yeah. That's like the worst case scenario of what Bedford Falls could could become and it's kind of hilarious. Yeah. Like his worst case scenario. So aspects like that while I would hesitate to say they haven't aged well, it, it's just clear to me that they're from an era that we no longer live in. Totally. Um things like uh like ev- this would be authentic to the era, so I'm even hesitant to point it out. But having like an all-black wait staff, for instance, like them having a black house servant, and the people who work at the train station are all black, like that kind of stuff. While it feels a little bit icky, it was authentic to the era. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. This is something you and I have talked about, and something that well, well, we're continuing to talk about now, and discussion we'll continue to have is. To what extent should we judge movies by today's standards? And it's a it's kind of a tough question. Everyone will have a different answer to it. Some people will look at this movie and say, wow, there's a lot of stuff in here that's really old-timey and uncomfortable. Yeah. And some people will say, well, it was, it was the fucking 40s. <laughs> like, obviously, there's some stuff that's not going to age well. If, if you think you're, you know, unimpeachably great, you know, wait 75 years and see how many of your beliefs are outdated. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's what I say. I agree. Um... The slut shaming didn't bother me. I just noticed it. For, this is the first time I've actually really noticed it. Yeah, when Mary's like, "You like every boy," and Violet's and, like, "So." And Violet's like, "What's wrong with that?" Yeah, nothing. Nothing, Violet. Violet. Nothing. If you want to fuck the entire town of Bedford Falls, that is your prerogative. Yeah, as long choice. As, as long as you are being safe about it and you consent, and everyone consents. Yep. Just you know, more power to you. I couldn't imagine a straight man not consenting to Violet because she, she is up, lovely. She is delicious. One of the, one of the best scenes uh, while we're on Violet, <laughs> one of the best moments for her is when Jimmy Stewart's like, hey, that's some dress you got on there. And she's like, oh, this thing? I throw it on when I don't care what I look like. And she throws her hair over her shoulder and does this confident strut down the yes. street. And every man in that scene is watching her leave. I know. And then Jimmy Stewart's head <laughs> pops up from behind the very slow rays like this to, to take another peek. Yeah. Oh. And the, I think it's Bert says, uh, I'm going to go home and see what the wife's doing. <laughs> oh, family man. <laughs> I fucking love this movie. Yeah. Uh, we also get here where Mary whispers uh, as uh, as into into his bad ear as George is preparing her Sunday uh, with coconut um, that she's going to love him for every day of her life, mm-hmm. and it's adorable. Uh, it does set up uh, the the deaf ear, uh, the bad ear, uh, quite well. We get a quick note, a, a quick little uh, precursor of something as George notices the telegram that the pharmacist 
whose name has escaped me. Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Uh, has received about the death of his son due to influenza. So he goes to check on Mr. Gower, who is drunk and reeling from the news of the loss of his son and has prepared a delivery for a family. And George notices that in his grief, he has mixed up some of the pills. And while he's trying to tell Mr. Gower, who does not want to talk, George's like, I got to go talk to my dad. My dad will know what to do. Mm-hmm. His dad is dealing with, in my opinion, one of the great villains on screen. Who I was didn't make the list. I was, I knew I knew he wouldn't. Yeah, but I held out hope. <laughs> and it's on this rewatch where I was like, he should have been. On he's that list. fucking sick and twisted. What what does uh, they say? Is a he's a wretched old. Oh, I can't remember what Jimmy Stewart calls him, but uh, it yeah, the man is is absolutely sick. Um, the great uncle of somebody we talked about in episode one eighty five. <laughs> For, for all you trivia nuts out there. Yeah. I'm sure Manny already knows. Uh, Lionel Barrymore, the great uncle of uh, Drew Barrymore. Yeah. Uh, Lionel Barrymore as Potter is delightful mm-hmm. as uh, as our villain. I love the way he always is kind of talking out of the corner of his mouth. Yep. It looks like. I don't know why that's so cool. I don't know if that's a tick of Lionel Barrymore. I haven't seen anything else he was in. Um, I? I don't know if that's a tick of him or of the character, oh, but wait. it's such a cool character trait. Are you looking up uh, his filmography right now? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I would I would go on a limb and say this is the one he's most well known for. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. Did he ever win an Oscar? He did win an Oscar. Hmm. He won an Oscar for A Free Soul. Never heard of it. 1931. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, he is also particularly remembered as Ebenezer Scrooge in annual broadcasts of A Christmas Carol during his last two decades. Well, that makes sense because mm-hmm. he's basically playing Scrooge. Yeah, hundred percent. Hmm. Yeah, I can't. I don't recognize any of these other films. Apparently, I was actually reading about him a little bit uh, before we came on air. Apparently, he was actually wheelchair ridden uh, for a long time in the in the latter half of his life. Apparently, he had really bad uh, arthritic legs. Mm. And, uh, and could barely walk. That's too bad. Mm. He stands up to Potter here, which mm-hmm. continues a nice trend of uh, George not being a coward. Standing up for the little guy. Yep. And he heads back to the pharmacy where Mr. Gowers received call that the delivery has not arrived. And he slaps George. One of the things that is a relic from the 40s. If, uh, if you're a writer and you want to create a character who is flawed... But redeemable. In 2021, you likely would not have that character beat the shit out of a 12-year-old child. <laughs> Again, it's the 40s. It's the 40s. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he he beats him up. He's bleeding out of the ear. That's yep. crazy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you did a little research, but uh, he hit him for reals. That makes sense. Like, the actor hit the actor for reals. Mm-hmm. And the blood coming out of the actor's ear is real i did not know that (laughs) that is even more horrifying yes uh hold on let me quickly grab the note on that uh where is it uh james stewart while filming films during damn it where is it (laughs) i hate it i'm sorry that's okay uh ah 
According to Robert J. Anderson, I don't even know who that is. Who's Robert J. Anderson? Robert J. Anderson. Is he play? Is he young, Bill? Is he young, George? Let's, Let's see if we can it. find that. Because I, I guess we should find out who's telling the story. Hmm. Albert. I don't know who that is. Robert J. Anderson. Robert J. Anderson. Okay, well, that's who. Is Here, I can find out who that is. Okay. Well, okay. While, you, while you're looking, according to Robert J. Anderson, H.B. Warner really was drunk during the scene in which Mr. Gower slaps young George. Warner's slaps were real and caused real blood to come from Anderson ear, Anderson's ears. After the scene was finished, Warner hugged and comforted Anderson. So Anderson must be yep. the, the young boy. Uh, A.K.A. Bobby Anderson. Oh, that would be why I can't find... Uh... Yeah, I did Control-F, try to find Robert James, but uh, couldn't find anything. But yeah, Bobby Anderson is the actor. Okay. Uh, so yeah, and I'm glad I didn't do my research prior to my rewatch, because if I'd seen that and then watch that scene, like the next time I watch that scene, that's gonna be even harder to watch. Yeah. Even on its own, it's still. Hard I'm to cringing. Watch. I'm like, ah, let, let him go. You just, you just saved you from jail. Um. Yeah. So it sets up that George is always looking out for everyone. Mm-hmm. Sets up that he is a great guy. Next scene, he goes from twelve to. Let's in air quotes. Uh, what are we thinking? Twenty. Twenty to twenty-two. Yep. Looks about thirty-seven. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunate directorial choice, maybe by Frank Capra to freeze frame as well on like the oldest-looking frame of Jimmy Stewart in the movie. There's like wrinkles on his forehead. The yep. man looks like he's maybe sixty, but Jimmy Stewart has looked like a like a catcher's mitt from the time he was about twenty anyway. So. Well, that's what happens when you live in that time. You start yeah, you smoking smoke. at the age of <laughs> yeah. eight. <laughs> yeah, everyone's smoking back then. So yeah, the freeze frame on Jimmy Stewart actually gets a laugh out of me each time because they're just like, he's like, boy, I can't wait to get out of here and go to college. I'm like, all right, Jimmy, whatever you say. It happens to me every time I watch this movie. This moment here, when we first see Jimmy Stewart, I always get excited. Yeah. I f- fucking love Jimmy Stewart, especially in this movie. I I will say I haven't seen a ton of Jimmy Stewart movies. Actually, I don't know if it's, oh no, I've seen. Did you uh, watch Rear Window? Rear Window, yeah. Rear Window is the one other major Jimmy Stewart performance that I've seen, and I love that movie. It was really good. Yeah. Not don't love it as much as this one, but um, one that I really want to watch is. Uh, uh, Harvey. Have you ever heard of Harvey? I have. Yeah. Have you seen it? No. I really want to watch Harvey. For some reason, that's been on my radar for a while now. I think it was recommended to me by an author who uh, listed his... I think it was... Uh, shout out to John Green, I guess, for anyone who knows him. Um, he said that Harvey is his favorite movie. Nice. And uh, ever since then, I've wanted to watch it. I've heard it's excellent. I've heard it's great. Yeah. Uh, this is where we get the scene where Violet walks by. Yeah, we, we talked about earlier. <laughs> awesome. I have in my notes, uh, Violet walks by, yum. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, she's great. Uh, the dance. Uh, I'm just kind of jumping past. I don't really think there's much to talk about where, where George goes home and has dinner with his dad. I like that scene with his dad. Yeah. Um, generally. Um, I thought I had some notes on that, but now I can't seem to remember them. Um, I just, I, I think it's important to insert that scene of him having dinner with his dad and, like, kind of trying not to put down his profession. Yep. 
he's trying to be really sensitive about it because he's George Bailey and he's yep. trying to be nice, but he's like, this is not for me. I need to do something not in this town. I need to build things myself. I, oh, yeah. I can't work at this building alone. I think it's a good scene uh, for that intention as well. Oh, I'm just saying I don't think there's much to talk about. Yeah. That's what I meant. And, uh, of course, after the dance, this scene becomes even more relevant, but we'll get there. Yeah. So the dance scene, um, it's moments like this where you really see why Jimmy was nominated for Best Actor. His reaction shots... His reaction to seeing a grown-up Mary is delightful. Their love and romance warms my heart in this movie. They have great chemistry. Great chemistry. And that's... They have great comedic chemistry one off one another, the way they can play off one another. And for the time, I guess their sexual chemistry is fine. To the degree that you were allowed to have sexual chemistry. Because yeah. at this time, we're right smack dab in the middle of Hayes Code. Yep. Um, we get the Charleston contest. <laughs> Such a silly scene. Yeah. But I have a lot of fun with it. The uh, the, the comedic shot of them going back and forth yes. to the pool. Which apparently is a real pool still in operation today. In LA. Yeah, yeah which is wild that it manages to last that long. Um <laughs> For some reason, I love the actor that's trying to pick up Mary. Do you know uh, who that is? I don't. If I, I'm going to give his most famous name, and I'm hoping you know who it is. Hmm. You're talking about the guy that actually presses the button, the guy that's jealous that Jimmy yeah, takes her away? Yeah, not the one saying, and did you further know yeah, that the not other the other guy? That's Alfalfa. Uh, which is a name I know, but... Oh, God. Uh, God. Uh, it's a famous show. Gosh darn it. That's going to that's gonna bug me now. Why can I not remember the name? Uh, I can find it for you. Hold on. They have a clubhouse. They're little kids. Are you referring to Our Gang? Is that what it's called? He was best known for his role as Alf Alpha in the short subject series Our Gang. Huh. I really thought it was called something else. But that is, he, he was Alfalfa. I see. All right. Yeah. What was, what's the actor's name? Uh, Carl Alfalfa Switzer. Apparently he went by Alfalfa. Yeah. And he was fatally shot by an acquaintance in a dispute over money in January 1959. That's fun. Yeah, he, his, uh, his life was not great. Oh, boy. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I one of the one of the things that makes me laugh a lot in the scene with the Charles call, Charleston contest is again, like we talked about in episode one eighty five, just a suspension of disbelief. Just go with it. Mm -hmm. So you have to just accept that Mary and George don't see the pool opening. Whatever. But he does mention. He's like, everybody's staring at us. We must be that good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's established at this point already that George knows there's a pool in there. Yes. Actually, as a matter of fact, was it not his idea in this movie? I think that might have been implied. I'm not yeah. totally sure. Yeah. The, the, what I'm assuming is the principal says, what a great idea, George, to put the pool underneath the, the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So, suspension of disbelief, whatever. It's yeah. fine. It does make me laugh when he says, he's like, we must be really good. Must Everybody, you be? Everybody's watching us. That's the only rational explanation. <laughs> I love it. Um... I didn't notice this when it happened, uh, 
I, I was listening to a podcast about this movie earlier today, so I can't wait to rewatch it. But apparently, when Jimmy Stewart falls in, I didn't know this. He's wearing a wig, and when really? he comes out of the water, he is bald. Uh, really? Yes. It made me want to rewatch the scene. I didn't know that. Neither did I've I. I've seen this movie so many times. I know. <laughs> so I can't wait to rewatch it to see a bald Jimmy Stewart come out of the water. Interesting. Um. Next up, George walks Mary home. Unbelievable scene. This is one of my favorite scenes maybe ever. Oh, my God. Spoiler alert for later. <laughs> Possibly might make the list. Oh, my God. This, the like, from front to back, it's great, this scene. But that monologue that Jimmy Stewart gives, the, what do you want, Mary? Can, what can I give you? Can I give you the moon? Say, that's a great idea. Or, or just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Oh. Say, that's a great idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. Makes me literally just want to cry sitting here saying that. Yes. I don't know why that's so beautiful. It's my, it's one of my favorites. Sorry, I think I just turned on the mic a bit. <laughs> All good. Um, I love... I love the old Granville house. I love how excited George is to throw rocks at the window. And I can say right now as a guy, I would too. I think 100%. If there's something in our DNA that just... Ooh, like broken down house with glass. I need to shatter it. It's something very caveman. Yeah. And then I love I, whoever thought the idea you break a piece of glass, you get your wish comes true. Like, how that's fan- a genius idea. Fantastic. Love that piece of writing. So he makes his wish, and I love that Mary immediately she knows what she wants to wish. Mm-hmm. She doesn't say what it is, she reveals it later. But he's like, what did you wish for? And she's like... Just keep singing. Just keep singing. (laughs) And you as the audience member know exactly Mm -hmm. what she wished for. I I love the timing of it too because it isn't just like throw, break glass, throw, break glass. He just begins explaining. He's like, here's what I want. I'm going to travel the world. I'm going to go to college and I'm going to build things. And he gives another great monologue for the second time in this one scene. And while he's in the middle of explaining, she instantly just picks up a rock and just decides, like, I know what I'm wishing for. And I love that timing, like, knowing, of course, what she's wishing for. And the way that the contrast between him being, like, unable to contain himself about how excited he is to see the world and her just being very coy and very sly. That that contrast is so cool. Yep. Um, note about this scene. I'm sure you probably found it in your trivia as well. Just wanted to point out, in the shooting for this scene, uh, they had a gunman with a like a BB gun or something like that yep. uh, fixed on the window for when Mary throws the stone. Uh, but she fucking nailed it. Yeah. She hit it first take, as far as I know. Because she played softball. Because she played softball, and she had a cannon for an arm, which mm-hmm. I think is so cool, makes the scene even better. If you want another nice anecdote about Donna Reed, she was very much like her character. She, was not a, she wasn't afraid to stand up for herself, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess Lionel Barrymore on set was kind of teasing her, saying, you're not a real farm girl, and there's a, there was a cow on set, and he said, he's like, if you're a real farm girl... He's like, I bet you $50 you couldn't milk that cow. And she's like, all right, rolled up her sleeves. And then afterwards, she said, easiest 50 bucks I ever made. (laughs) Suck it, Barrymore. Yep. Uh, They get to her house. I think it's her house. 
it's got to be close because that's where they kind of stop or when this is the last of the moon part of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, they're they're at a bush. They're certainly on the way to her house. Yeah, on the way to her house. Uh, there's someone uh, eavesdropping. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say eavesdropping because he's not he's not purposely doing. He just happens to be out on his porch. Mm-hmm. It's obvious Mary is in love with him. Mm-hmm. Jimmy is or is not sorry. George oblivious. Because all he's thinking about is getting out of Bedford Falls. Mm-hmm. So he is... The Lasso of the Moon line is... Oh, I don't know. One of the top ten most romantic lines? It's beautiful. It is so amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she loses her robe. Yep. <laughs> and... His line delivery of, I just got to get it here. It is in my quotes. Oh, no, where is it? Uh, Are you talking about the, hey, what am I doing? That whole thing? Yes, but it's at the very beginning. I wish I could do it justice. When he's just about to give her back, he's like, this is a very interesting situation. <laughs> it is so it is so playful because this scene in itself could be super awkward yeah. and very misogynistic. Mm-hmm. But he's so playful about it. Mm-hmm. He's not being a creep. No. He's having fun with her. Yeah. He has no intentions of doing anything ill-begotten towards her or as evidenced when the first vehicle drives by and he doesn't know what's going on he instantly throws the robe back yeah i fucking love this scene mm-hmm. it is so well written so well acted it truly shows off the incredible chemistry between these two actors i could watch this scene over and over and over mm-hmm. again i i might go home and watch it again after this oh uh, it just warms my heart mm-hmm. Uh, we learned that George's father's passed away hmm. and he had plans to leave to go to college in Paris if I'm not mistaken I believe so dad passed away he sticks around to help with the estate and he's about to leave and the board is willing to keep the building and loans open if George stays which is such a shitty decision. That's just that's a lot to put on George. Everybody in this board will know George. Yep. And know of his ambitions and know of his desire to lead a full, fulfilling life. Yep. Uh, outside of Bedford Falls, and they must know the position they're putting him in. It's so frustrating to me that he is on his way out. He's got his coat on. He is going to the train to get out to Bedford Falls. And then, oh, one last thing before you go. If you leave, everybody that you know and love will be fucked over Yeah, by Potter. Just prior to that board's decision, though, he once again stands up to Potter. One of the only people in the town who will. Yeah. Keeps telling him off. Great Potter moment. As George is doing his monologue, Potter's yawning. (laughs) (laughs) Who gives a fuck? Yep. Archie's supposed to be leaving town. Yeah. So uh, So I can take over the town like Biff Tannen. Wake me up when there's something I give a fuck about. Yeah, I <laughs> fucking love Potter so much. So George, of course, stays. Now he's going to stay for four years. Harry will go off to college instead. And then Harry will come back and take over so George can leave. 
Harry comes home to reveal he has a wife. Ugh. Another gutting decision. And again, because George is like such a nice guy, he's thinking of other people other than himself. He's doing his waiting. And when he first meets Ruth, I think her name is, mm-hmm. uh, he's like, hey, how do you do? He's a little, you know, a little bit uh, casual, let's yeah. say. And then has a moment of realization. He's like, this is this is my brother's wife. And yeah. like Jimmy Stewart, again, being the optimistic person that he is, just like completely throws himself and just instantly accepts this woman into his family yep. without hesitation. It's the woman that his brother loves. And then she reveals that Harry also has a job. Yeah. Yeah. And the Ouchie. De- the devastation on George's face. Now Harry reassures him his wife has spoken out of turn. He hasn't accepted the job. But George knows that there's no way that he could prevent his brother from pursuing something this lucrative. Yeah. So they have a party to celebrate Harry's return. George is a little downtrodden about it. Because his dreams are now once again being put aside. Mm-hmm. And the lovely Ma Bailey comes out to try and cheer him up. Keeps talking about Mary. Yeah. And George just keeps grunting. <laughs> Makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. And then she mentions to George that Mary's back in town interesting but she's been seeing sam wainwright she's been seeing sam wainwright yeah <laughs> that's the only part of the movie that annoys me is that fucking sam wainwright yeah. yeah it's super annoying and they go back to it many a time i think i saw i think it said 13 times in the movie it said 13 times yeah. not all of which by sam no sometimes george is echoing it back at him and so is mary but, uh, yeah, what the fuck did that come from? I have no idea. Yeah. It's... It's irritating. Yeah. I'm gonna start doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so George goes for a walk. Meets Vi. Vi sees him. Is it an out-of-character moment for George Bailey? Is the genuine question. Is it an out-of-character moment for George Bailey that while he is on his way to meet with Mary... He instead asks Vi out on a date simply because she's there? Nope. No? I think it's a guy thing. Mm. Yeah. Vi's pretty cool. Vi is cool. Yeah. Well, at least I thought she was cool until he describes this super cool date. Like he, he's, he wants to go on an awesome date. Find me a woman in the world who wouldn't want to go on a date like that. Maybe not with Jimmy Stewart, but with, you know, someone. Uh, you know, he wants to just feel the grass beneath his toes and go on a hike and you know see the world and she's recoils at the opportunity she's horrified at the opportunity she's she's a city girl yeah but trust me there's lots we know them look on instagram um (laughs) i i agree that sounded like romantic he wants to go swimming in a green pool yeah i'd go swimming with jimmy stewart in a green pool so would i maybe not unsupervised but true (laughs) So Violet passes up. What could have been? And he gets laughed at. Yeah. And he's discouraged. Which puts him in not the greatest mood. I think, yeah, he does get, obviously. I also love, I can't remember the exact quote, but when Violet sees him, she's talking with a couple guys and she tells them to stick around just in case. Yeah, so badass, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I don't know why Vi is made out to be like 
like less than some of the other characters. I mean, I know exactly why. It's because you know you need, I guess, the juxtaposition to marry. I think so, but I, th- I don't think, I don't think the film positions her that kind of way. I think people's own expectations. I don't, I don't feel that Capra is ever degrading Violet hmm. in any at any point, except for when she's in Pottersville, when it's probably intimated that she's a hooker. Mm-hmm. Not to put down sex workers, you know. But in the world of this movie, that is about the worst thing you can be. Yeah. In the world of 1946, yeah. in this movie. But I, I fuck, I've always loved Violet. Mm-hmm. I love. I, granted, she is a beautiful woman, as is Donna Reed. Who yeah. Is married. Jimmy Stewart, just well, or yeah. more specifically, George Bailey. Well done, Georgie boy. Tip of the cap to thee, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. He finally gets to Mary's house. Yeah. Or to the sidewalk outside of Mary's house. <laughs> Something about this scene has always rubbed me the wrong way. Okay. A little bit. Right. This is kind of the main thing I wanted to talk about as far as things I don't like about this movie. Something about this scene has always rubbed me the wrong way. Just like, I don't feel like anyone could do what George Bailey does in this scene and say the things that he says and still get the girl. I feel like that is a bit of a stretch. Is this like, I don't know exactly what they mean by the phrase, which I'm sorry, but isn't this like gaslighting? Gaslighting. Or is it like, isn't he like negging her? Yeah. Well, as far as I'm I'm, negging her, because he's not really putting her down. He's just not. He's being a dick is what he's doing. Yeah. Honestly, as far as I'm aware, I would have to look up the specific definition. I think gaslighting is making somebody question their own sanity. Like, oh, oh, oh like, oh, oh, like that didn't happen. You're making shit up. You're okay, crazy. So it's yeah. not gaslighting. I didn't yeah. know what gaslighting. I, I, th- I think. All right. I think that's what it is. All right. Uh-huh. He's yeah. He he's he's grumpy, hmm. and he's being a complete asshole. Yeah. But she adores him. Yeah. And what like pisses me off, and the the point of no return. I think the specific thing that is a red flag for me as far as the character of George Bailey is concerned. Mm-hmm. She shows him this super cute drawing that she's made. George Lasso's the moon. And I would melt in that spot, in George Bailey's spot. And he's like, some joke, huh? At that moment, fuck you, George, you're not getting any. Yeah. Absolutely not. It is adorable. It is adorable. One of the great... And I'm... because. Not really. I don't even know what to say. I'm sure you have no. Why we have a problem? <laughs> Sam is in a very is in a very committed relationship. Yes, I am currently single. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the great, great things when you're in a, an, a committed long term relationship are the inside jokes that you share with your partner. Yes, completely. That only the two of you know about. Mm-hmm. This is one of them. The lasso, the moon. The fact that she drew, and it's not just like this little picture on like a normal piece of paper. It's like a poster. Yeah. It's like a cool ass cartoon. Yeah. I would propose right there Mm -hmm. for someone to put that much effort into the night that you guys pretty much kind of fell in love, even though Mary's loved him her whole life. Yes. It is on that moment there is like. The ending of most romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. That big moment of affection. And this is just one of the small moments of this film. Mm -hmm. 
It's fucking awesome. And she's playing the song that they were singing. Right? She is giving 110% and he is completely downplaying her effort. This scene actually makes me furious. Yes. And I think that's the point. It probably is. And it works. And I'm so (laughs) mad at George. I'm like, this woman is throwing herself at you and you are putting down all this shit that she's worked so hard on. It is so angering to me. I just want to... Actually, can I just kind of not even clarify can i just tweak that statement a little bit yes go for it i don't think she's throwing herself at him in terms of that she is making abundantly clear that she is in love with him yeah i don't think there's any intention of sex which that term okay yeah i i did not intend it to imply sex but i see that it might to some people so yeah yeah she is making it abundantly clear that she is in love with him totally and that she thinks the world of him and uh, it's <laughs> the funny thing is is this is this might be the original incarnation of a manic pixie dream girl yeah totally right <laughs> <laughs> she adores him adores everything he does she is loving and supporting i, I fucking love mary mm-hmm. but she's not a pushover she doesn't like, as he's being a dick, and she's like, all right. Fuck out of here, then. <laughs> hit the road. But then she sees an opportunity to use a great woman trick. Just throwing a little bit of jealousy. Oh, yeah. Let me, let me. You can see the moment the gears turn. She's like, ah, an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Sam's calling? Oh, why, hello, Sam. <laughs> yeah. And a great bit of acting from Donna Reed to actually, like, communicate that silently. Yes. yes. It's, it's awesome. Oh. So she uses it to make George <laughs> jealous. Uh, and then Sam <laughs> Sam calls him out on it. Are you trying to steal my girl? He's like, no, I wouldn't do that. And then makes out with her five seconds later. Yeah. But. but it's here. It's here with them being this close that he starts to realize, that George starts to realize the feelings he does have for her. Mm-hmm. Because he's... Hearing Sam, who is giving him the opportunity of a lifetime, and all he can think about is Mary. It's well acted. It's basically just like a tripod shot. I don't know if there's a ton of camera movement going on here, but we're just fixated on the actors who are kind of realizing awkwardly just how in close proximity they are. Yes. And you can, the tension, the sexual tension is kind of bubbling over. It is. And it's, for a 1940s movie, it's. It's well done. There's some nice sexual tension in there. He does do this thing after the phone call where he kind of grabs her by the shoulders and shakes her. Yeah. Again, 1940s, I could do without it. Yep. I could do without the grabbing by the shoulders and shaking. Also, uh, every Emma and I have now watched this together two years in a row. Yeah. And we make fun of Jimmy Stewart's kissing because he's like he it's passionate. Yes. But, like, it's a little hard. I got a note for you. Do you? Hold on. Go ahead. Oh, here it is. James Stewart was nervous about the phone kiss scene because it was his first on-screen kiss since his return to Hollywood after the war. Under director Frank Capra's watchful eye, Stewart filmed the scene in only one unrehearsed take. And it worked so well that part of the embrace was cut because it was too passionate. I'm sh- I I did read that actually and when I read too passionate I was like I bet he just kissed her way too hard. Yeah. Like, he probably overcompensated for the time a little bit. So yeah, something about like 
the scene as a whole still works for me because like you said the intention is for the audience to go what are you doing man like this girl clearly loves you like smarten the fuck up yeah that's the intention with the scene that works this specific little sliver in here jimmy jimmy stewart shaking her by the shoulders and then kissing her a bit too hard i'm like ease up jimmy jesus (laughs) makes me a little uncomfortable they get married yes happy (laughs) they're gonna go on honeymoon george is getting his wish hallelujah they're on their way out of town again yeah they got married they've got two grand in hand yeah in a cab with ernie ready to hit the road well what's what's going on at the bank there's a wait there's a bunch of people running towards the bank that's it's kind of weird and mary herself says don't stop george Mm -hmm. he's so close for the second time he has his jacket on ready to leave bedford falls yeah and gets stopped by his own sense of responsibility yep. to the people in the town. There's a run on the bank. So this is the depression, obviously. Yep. So he goes to the old building alone. Can I just say, fuck the guy who asked for $242? Yeah. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, you, sir, are the true villain. Yes. I mean, you're not because Potter is, obviously. <laughs> but I'm like, I hate that guy. Yeah. It's like, Jimmy has explained to him, like, or George. I keep calling him Jimmy. George. George has explained to him, like, we have two grand for everybody in the city, basically. You just need to take as little as you can to tide you over to the next one. And the guy's like, yeah, I'll take every penny that I have. 242 bucks. Thank you very much. Yep. Fuck that guy. And then says he'll close his account. Nope, it's a loan. It's a loan. No, I was about to say Jimmy as well. (laughs) George is like, it's a loan. Yeah. Great scene. Potter calls. (laughs) That evil smug bastard that he is. What is that expression? Never let a good tragedy go to waste. Yeah. That's Potter here. Potter is fucking awesome. I'm redoing your guys' list. Your what? Guys, your guys' villain list? Yeah. Fucking trashing it. <laughs> I think we established that. <laughs> I mean, we've re- referenced this a few times. Uh, the the members of the podcast group chat put together a movie. We drafted a list of the greatest villains of all time. Mr. Potter did not make it. Nope. How many did we do? Top 25? 25, yeah. We did 25. Number one, Manny. Do you want to re- talk about who number one was? <laughs> According to... The past and future guests of this podcast, the people, those, that group has selected as a group. <laughs> did we select as a, as a group? As a group. I don't think we did. As a group. No. Could have vetoed it. Could have. There was vetoes left on the board. Yeah, there's vetoes left on the board. There's also a billion shitty villains left on the board. <laughs> Shooter McGavin. Shooter McGavin from, from Happy, Happy Gilmore. Gilmore is considered the greatest movie villain of all time. Mr. Potter didn't make the list. Anton Chigurh did not make the list. <laughs> uh, Ledger's Joker didn't make the list. Didn't make the list, yeah. Uh, Norman Bates from Psycho didn't make the list. Yeah. Uh, Nurse Ratched didn't make the list. Yeah. yeah. So it is definitive, obviously. <laughs> Great, greatest villain of all time, Shooter McGavin. Um, yeah. Uh, the run on the bank. Uh, run on the bank. Potter calls. If they can't make it to the end of the day 
with money left over, they're done for. Mm-hmm. They got two dollars left. Mama dollar and papa dollar. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as the day is over, he realizes he's married. Yeah. So he rushes home, or rushes to find his wife, or he's about to rush around. Three forty sycamore, three twenty. Yeah. He finds out that, uh, or she calls him, tells him to come to home. I think she says home or come to the three twenty sycamore. Yeah. Well, I think we only hear his end of the conversation, right? Yes, we do. He's like home. What do you mean home? And he's like. Yeah, then he it. then he repeats the address. He's like three twenty sycamore or whatever it is. I'm just gonna look at that. So Ernie, the cab driver, picks him up. Now, I didn't... I don't know if you picked up on it. I did. Bert and Ernie. Yes. I have to imagine that's who they were named after. It's just a coincidence. No. Yeah. I have something on that. What? Yeah. I had... Uh, I was was certain... I would have bet money on the fact that the Sesame Street characters were named after Bert and Ernie. Okay, here we go. Two of the Sesame Street Muppets, Bert and Ernie, share their names with the film's cop and cab driver, respectively. But it's believed to just be a coincidence. Carolyn Grimes, who plays Zuzu, insisted that the two Muppets were named as such because the movie was Jim Henson's favorite. Mm. Henson's writing partner, Jerry Jewell, insisted to the San Francisco Chronicle that Ernie and Bert were not named after the movie's characters. Jewell said, quote, I was not present at the naming, but I was always positive the rumor was incorrect. Despite his many talents, Jim had no memory for details like this. He knew the movie, of course, but would not have remembered the cop and the cab driver. I was not able to confirm this with Jim before he died, but shortly thereafter, I, sp- I spoke to John Stone, Sesame Street's first producer and head writer, and a man largely responsible for the show's format. He assured me that Ernie and Bert were named one day when he and Jim were studying the prototype puppets. They decided that one of them looked like an Ernie and the other one looked like a Bert. The movie character names are purely coincidental. Okay, I can buy it. Me too. I never noticed the burden or anything until this viewing. Mm. I think I, I, it took me a little bit. I don't think I noticed it this or the last watch. I think it was probably the one prior, but I, I did notice it, yes. Uh, it is 320 Sycamore, by the way. 320 Sycamore. <clears throat> the Waldorf, as she calls it. Oh, the, the honeymoon? Yes. Just. Are you kidding me, Mary? As if one beautiful romantic moment was not enough. This honeymoon just makes me melt. It's delightful. Bird and Ernie singing outside. Um, one of them uh, at the door with the top hat. Yes. Tilted against the door frame. Beautiful. Yeah. And then he asks for the tip. <laughs> and George just tilts his hat and gives him a handful of water. Yeah. <laughs> and shakes his hand <laughs> yeah. out. Beautiful comedic moment. Yeah. I love another beautiful moment. Uh, when he gets inside and he's looking around, he sees the nice dinner table she's made in this dive. She, he sees that she's cooking rotisserie chicken. Holy guacamole over an open flame. And then he looks over and he sees the bed mm-hmm. with her pajamas. And he's like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, mm, we're getting some tonight. Yeah. Uh, it is like... I want Mary. Mary, <laughs> love me. Yeah, I think Donna Reed might be a little old at this point and a little dead. Quite. Yeah. <laughs> dead. I think she died in 86. Oh, that's pretty dead. Yeah. 
Uh, it just warms my heart, this scene. How do you just have that knowledge on hand? I just looked that up. January 14th, 1986. That's incredible. I don't know how you know that. Well, I obviously don't know as much as many people. <laughs> well, there it is again. Other people. Um, this is also where Mary confesses what her wish was. Yes. Yeah. That day when we were throwing rocks at this old house, yeah. this is what I wished for. Oh, so sweet. I love you. So Mary. sweet. I love you, Mary. <laughs> we move ahead. Oh, where am I? Quite moved ahead. Oh wow. Okay. Ah. We moved ahead a little bit. I, I'm kind of jumping over some of the stuff. Uh, if I go too far into something that you want to talk about, he's starting to doubt his choices in life. Uh, I've skipped over a lot of like uh, some of the good stuff. Hmm. Um, Potter is kind of if you can't beat him, join him kind of thing. Yeah, he uh, he decides that the best way to. Uh, the best way to beat the building alone is to just hire George and, yeah. dis- and dissolve it. Easiest way. Offers him 20000 a year. Uh, Do you know how much that is? I now? was just going to say the smile on your face makes me think you have the adjusted numbers for me. Um, oh, you, want to take, you want to hazard a guess? Hazard a guess. Um, I would say that's 20. I'm just going to do some quick math here. Okay. Um, gosh, I don't even know. Um, I don't know. Let's say it's let's say it's a million dollars. Oh no, not that high. Hmm. But it's it's just under three hundred thousand dollars. Ah shit, yeah. Okay. I I could definitely go for that kind of stuff. So that's I was trying to figure out how many times I was trying to use the budget numbers from earlier to calculate how many times <laughs> <laughs> it increased, but I was off a little bit. Um, I love that George basically almost basically says yes he's fallible in the scene he's very human yeah. in the scene i like the scene he's vulnerable he's human he wants money he wants all the things that potter says and he he basically agrees to it until they touch yeah and he shakes his hand and realizes he's about to make a deal with the devil and, and this is actually what makes one of the things that makes potter such a great villain he knows our protagonist so when he says a c- couple of business trips a year maybe some to new york maybe a couple to europe he knows exactly Yep. what he's doing he knows he's known george bailey since he was a kid he knows that all he's ever wanted is to get out of this place yeah what i love as well it's a small touch and i've always thought about because how evil potter is he tells him it's a three-year contract mm. and i was like i bet you at the end of three years he doesn't renew it exactly it's po- a small it's a small tiny investment potter's playing potter. the long con yep. yeah like you said a small investment for the short term so that in the long term he can own all the slums and just have a monopoly over everything. Yeah. It's fucking evil, oh. man. It's fucking evil. Why is Mr. Potter not on the villain <laughs> list? Uh, and then this is also, it also, it's one of the great things about this character and this film is it does show how human George is. He almost gives in to this temptation and who wouldn't? Like, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Especially, you know, we basically learn he's li- he's living in his own slum. Hmm. Um, but now he's also doubting. Like, he, he asks, why did Mary choose him? Like, why did you choose me? You could have been with Sam and, and been rich. Uh-huh. And Mary just ass- reassures him. She's like, I, but I love you. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't care about material things. And she shows that. She shows that with... 
the house that the you know the house that she got and and all that it's it just really accentuates what a great character this is and how well it's written get a little montage they have some kids yes they do four my goodness the which, 40s man yeah which i i i think about i'm like i can't imagine having four kids but back then it's probably average one of my favorite quotes do you know the comedian jim gaffigan i do yeah my favorite quotes from him when he was on i think it was jimmy fallon's show he has four kids i think and jimmy fallon asked him what's it like having four kids and he said well jimmy imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby (laughs) 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 always love that quote yeah um i can't even imagine what it's like to have one child uh i myself am still a child it's Uh, awesome i i i'm gonna go on record here um i don't know what the future holds for me i am not done being selfish yet i love spending my money on myself (laughs) it is my favorite person to spend my money on i was exactly the same way at your age love it tell you right now having one kid is great because I can keep my eye on her at all times. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if I could do two. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone fucking four. Four. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, thank you. Um, I also do love about this movie, one of the things that's so bitter about watching this movie is that George Bailey goes on a couple of different rants to Potter about how everyone deserves to have a home. Like, it's, it's the American dream. It, it's it's a man's birthright to own a home. I am right on the cusp of either being a millennial or a Gen Z. 1996 is considered right right in that cusp. Uh, I have pretty well accepted I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna own a home. I, that's basically the reality for a lot of people my age. Yep. Post-2008, especially. Yep. Uh, yeah, so all of the little rants that George Bailey goes on about how every... Everyone deserves to have a home that's nice and affordable, and ni- and this home that he lives in is considered a dump. This fucking palace <laughs> he lives in is referred to as a dump so many times in this movie. I'm like, <laughs> on behalf of the 2020s, fuck all of you living in the 40s. Just fuck every single one of you for not appreciating what you have. <laughs> he's like oh no the handle comes off the top of the banister oh no it's like a 20 minute fix woe is me fuck yourself george bailey i live in a basement asshole think, <laughs> think about all the work that they did have to put into that house though because when totally yeah it it was dilapidated yeah it wasn't great that that honeymoon he literally walks in the front door and it's still raining inside his house (laughs) yeah and it was a dump yeah then and they fixed it up and he's still belly aching about it (laughs) it is a beautiful home yeah it is (laughs) this drafty old barn fuck yourself (laughs) (laughs) but i'm not bitter about it uh we learned that there's war when um, the war has gone on oh okay yeah in, in this montage <laughs> gotcha um we learn uh harry saved a bunch of lives mm-hmm. and is going to be awarded i think the congressional medal of honor correct for shooting down a kamikaze plane headed yes. for a troop transport so everything seems to be doing okay george is a little unhappy but um he's got a nice family and a nice house but still doesn't quite see uh everything that he has he's still uh he's 
still a little resentful that he never left Bedford Falls. Mm -hmm. And uh, in particular, feels a little left out, I think, from not being able to go to war Mm -hmm. and become a hero. I don't think he resents his brother necessarily. No, I I, I never got that at all. I got the impression that he missed out, certainly. Or that he thought he missed out, certainly. So it's now the day before Christmas. Mm -hmm. We find out Harry's coming home. The town is excited for the war hero to come back. Good old Uncle Billy. No wonder the board wasn't willing to leave Uncle Billy in charge of the The man is... In this movie, Clarence is referred to as the simpleton. Uh, Meet Uncle Billy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just literally hands $8,000 to Potter. Just, here you go. And when when Sam uses the word literally, he's literally meaning... Literally. Literally, literally. Yeah. <laughs> Hands him. This is one of the things I love, though. Potter discovers the money and is immediately about to return it. Mm-hmm. So as evil as this man is, he's actually not that evil. Mm. And the only reason he keeps it is he's, this is the opportunity he's been waiting for. Yeah. If it had been any of his other customers, that move that money was was going to be given back, mm-hmm. and I think it's a great little character thing. Cool, yeah, I like I like that you pointed that out because as soon as he finds it, he's like, "Take me back out there." I think it's also uh, maybe this is just me, but I also got the impression that uh, Billy taunting him had something to do with it as well. I agree. The fact that when he looks out the window, the camera immediately goes to Billy—that's the cut that we get. Yep, uh, that has always registered to me like. Yeah, you think you're so great? Yeah, well, let's see how you handle this. Yeah, because it's actually right before that, Billy's taunt is he he's, he basically he, says, you're as bad as the Nazis. Yeah, well, he grabs the paper and says, oh, what's the news today? Guess you can't keep those Bailey boys down and like rubs it in his face that Harry Bailey got the Congressional Medal of Honor and hand, hands the newspaper back to him and, again, literally hands the $8,000 with it. Yeah. Whoops. I have the note here. Violet sees George again. Oh, that's yeah. She, she co- goes. She borrows money from him at the building and loan. Yeah, to go to. I think to move to New York. Yeah, she wants to give her career a fresh start. Yep. And what I love here is they set they set things up perfectly because they go into George's office privately. But there's no flirtation. Violet makes no move towards him. Mm-hmm. And George is not hitting on her or overcome by her beauty. He sees a friend of his he's had his whole life who is in need and he's willing to help her. The scene is very in character yep. for George. Yep. Like you said, he's a friend in need and he wants to help. That's just who he is. Yeah. And Violet's not doing anything to get the money. She's not playing up to George. She's not flirting with him in any way. She's asking a favor, and that's she, it. Yeah, she's asking a favor. But because it's behind closed doors, we learn later on that there are rumors. Yeah, well, and he exits the room with a lipstick kiss on his cheek as well, right? Which is not which is not, yes. ro- it's not romantic. Yeah. Like, it, I, I didn't get the impression she was trying to, like, nope, it's a bag th- him or anything. It's it, a thank you. It was a thank you kiss. She, he helped her out. She gave him a kiss on the cheek. And he exits the room, and she's wiping a lipstick kiss off his cheek. Yep. And rumors circulate. Yep. So then he finds out Billy's lost the money. 
Yeah, he flies off the handle a touch. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah, loses his temper. Uncle Billy's obviously family. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't imagine dealing with that type of incompetence on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Having to basically make sure that this man is doing the bare minimum where to the point where he is constantly having to tie things around his finger to try and remember things. Yeah. Um so when he when he loses it on Billy, I'm like I get it. If I'm just trying to do a quick calculation here, $20,000 was 300 roughly. Uh so $8,000 is about 120. About 120k down the drain. Give or take. Yeah. I could find the exact moment. But yeah, if I will approximate it. He's lost it. Mm. Goes home. He's on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. All these years of all the work that he's put in is now about to come crumbling down around it's him. It's about to be for nothing. For literally nothing. And and he's going to get punished. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the shot of him distraught in his chair with his son putting tinsel on his head. Yeah. It's just such a juxtaposition of moods. Like, he is... He's distraught, and he's... At this point, we know he's thinking of killing himself. Uh, I guess we know that right from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And his son putting the tinsel on his head, and the family is so blissfully unaware. Except for Mary. Mary, Mary catches on. For, for a little bit, she is at least trying to keep up appearances and just like be normal but she notices him on the couch she knows him as soon as he walks in the door yes as soon as she turns as soon as she sees him with her eyes not hears him because her back's turned for a bit yeah as soon as she sees him yes. she immediately knows something is wrong yeah i love that about mm-hmm. her. i love that i love you mary <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene him losing it on his kids like yeah like when he yells at them mm-hmm. and the daughter practicing piano starts crying I fucking broke my heart mm-hmm. I was like oh George so George goes to Potter he finally it's absolute last straw hat in hand as they say Potter relishing it yum 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 it's like delicious he's, he's sucking the <laughs> marrow out of the bone like oh yes <laughs> it's like his dreams have come true. <laughs> this Barrymore sick, is, evil man. Barrymore is perfect mm-hmm. in this scene. He is so... The best part about it... The best part about it is that Barrymore knows what has happened. If if the money had just been lost, I think Potter would have helped George here. Yeah. He would have somehow manipulated it into his advantage in some way. Mm-hmm. Maybe he uh, probably would have just loaned him the money. Yeah, at like a huge interest rate. But because he knows that because of this, George could go to jail. Mm -hmm. He's just like, (laughs) remember that shit you said to me before? Yeah, (laughs) it's tough, are you now? Suck it, bitch! (laughs) I fucking love how happy Potter is (laughs) in this scene. Yeah. And he winds, oh. up, uh, winds up calling the police. Yeah. Calls the fuzz on George. <laughs> calls the fuzz. George makes a run for it. Mm-hmm. Goes to Martinis. Uh, one of the best acted scenes in the movie. 
uh, George Bailey at Martini's sweating profusely because again this movie is shot in August I believe <laughs> shot in a heat wave yeah shot in a heat wave so I mean, it, and they're I, all wearing winter coats it surprisingly works that George Bailey is always so sweaty in this movie because he's always under so much stress <laughs> but for everyone else you're like god there's a lot of sweat on this person um, but he is sweating at this counter and he's at the end of his rope and I love I think it must just be the sound design of this mm-hmm. movie or the mixing or whatever it is but he's Which it was nominated for yeah he was he's muttering at this counter under his breath and it's clear as day it's like lord i'm not a praying man but if you're up there show me the way he's fucking desperate for a man who is known for being jolly and optimistic and always looking on the bright side that's jimmy stewart's character he's an everyman and finding ways to to make things work for somebody who has that signature this is a dark moment yeah a seriously dark moment in the era of the Hayes code i would like to emphasize this nothing is supposed to be racy or even really challenging it's all supposed to be hunky-dory the hero wins and the villain loses and this movie even though it's blatantly optimistic, has a lot of stuff that it's surprising made it through those filters. This scene being one of them. This is dark for the era. Yeah. Gets punched because of uh, him yelling at a teacher on the phone. (laughs) Yeah, Mr. Welch. Yeah, rightfully deserves that punch. Yep, 100%. Yep. In fact, I think a lot of people could use a punch nowadays. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm going to take this a little further. I'm going to use this analogy here. Okay. (laughs) George on the phone with the teacher is like the chicken shit people on the internet. Mm. They'll say shit because it's not to your face. That's true. But then they come face to face with somebody that is willing to do something about it. Tail between the legs. Yep. And George gets socked Mm -hmm. right in the kisser deserves it i love you george but you deserve that punch hundred percent yeah drives drunk nick and martini well nick tries to save martini's like (laughs) they they still let him leave yeah (laughs) this is back in the day this is actually back in the days when i'm fairly positive it was not illegal to drive drunk i don't think so yeah in fact, I think it was a, up until the 60s or 70s it wasn't illegal because my parents compul- my com- my parents and my aunts and uncles told me numerous times they drove home drunk without any fear of repercussion. Hmm. I'm trying to find anything about it, but I uh, the courthouse libraries BC doesn't have anything before like the 90s, which nope. is unfortunate. When did drunk driving become illegal? That would be yeah, when was drunk driving made illegal is what I'm Googling right now. All right. I'll, I'll get back to you. All right. No worries. Uh, he drives drunk, crashes into an old tree, which made me laugh that the guy was so angry he crashed into a tree. <laughs> Would you rather he have drove over your fence? My great-grandfather planted this tree. <laughs> and it's still there. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, oh, no. In about four oh, or no. five months, that tree will heal itself. Oh, you have an interesting story about it now. Oh, whatever will you do? Oh, man. He, he's really upset about him crashing into that yeah, tree. Yeah, like, fucking relax, dude. Yeah, he didn't hit your house or your <laughs> fence, which is like five feet away. Also, he's outside, right? He could have hit you. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Fucking relax, man. Ditches the car, goes to the bridge, and he's about to jump in. Articulated well visually with his constant looking down. Uh, it's snowing like a motherfucker. It is. Yep. Not real snow. We haven't acknowledged this yet, but this movie uh, is, like, I got... It got what I think was called a technical achievement Oscar. Yeah, it's the it's, ones that you see at the Oscars that they don't show. Yeah, exactly. And it's for their development in fake snow. Yeah, called Fomite. Fomite. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, previously they used painted cornflakes. Yes. That's what they used for snow in movies before this. Yep. But this is a soap-based subs- substance, I believe. Yeah. So, yeah. Looks great. Until they're in the water. When, when they're in the water, it really shows that it's not real snow. Because <laughs> real snow would melt in water. Yes. <laughs> but uh, it's like white caked all over their face. Finally, we're, what'd you say? About an hour and a half in and Clarence finally shows One up. One hour, 38 minutes. That is... <laughs> That strikes me as very odd. That's a weird decision. It's not just me, right? The that pacing of that is strange. There's 32 minutes left in this film. Yeah. <laughs> Clarence is like, hey, remember me? Clarence jumps in. Yeah. Smart, actually. Yeah. He's referred to as a simpleton in the beginning. He's like, this is smart. This is a smart thing to do. Yeah. And it's funny because it is because he does know George. Yeah. He knows. First of all, he can't die, I yeah. assume. Uh, and he knows George that he he would help anybody. Yep. As, as a matter of fact, he has saved somebody from drowning before. So there you go, perfect reasoning. But he's a simpleton, apparently. All right, if you say so. So Clarence and George are. I don't know where. Like, where are they here in the scene where they're drying off their clothes? Like the, uh, I, like the bridge master. Maybe. I don't because know. they. I know when you see shots of the bridge, there is that little shack. Right on the edge of the bridge. Yeah. So is it perhaps that this is one of those bridges that can split or turn for boats? Maybe. For boats allows? Because that's, that's, not, the, that's not outside the realm of possibility. Either way, I assume that's where they are because it obviously must be close by. And it can't be too far away because they they after this they walk to where the, he thinks the car is. So it must be right here. Anyways, either way, the guy's reactions to the conversation is <laughs> fucking awesome. He's like, just, I think he's... Is he uh, is he chewing tobacco in yeah. the scene? Yeah, and he like just goes to spit and then like recoil like what the, what did you just say? Yeah. <laughs> Clarence, as smart as he is about the method of getting George to save him, thinks that just telling the truth about being an angel is the best way to do this mm-hmm. because it's totally believable. Yeah. I love that George is probably thinking he's like, well, I'm probably still drunk. yeah and he goes to is the first place they go to get a drink or is that what that's what george says well the first place they go is to the car yeah which isn't there Mm -hmm. and then they go to martinis which is now nick's but he didn't notice that walking in yeah nick goes from a nice guy to being a mean almost gangster i love nick's voice Yes, I can. I can see him. I I almost wish they had given him the line. Oh, you're a wise guy, eh? Yep. That's just. I don't know why I can hear him say that. Yep. I don't know why that is what wakes up in my brain. But I that voice says that line at some point in history. One hundred percent. George is confused as to why Nick 
is this way. Uh, Mr. Gower shows up, who is apparently the town drunk. Yep, and spent 20 years in jail for murdering a child. Yep. It looks like shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My believable. Um, I Nick mean, is, Nick easy is, to be sweaty in there. Yeah. Nick is so mean. I love that he overhears about uh, every time a bell rings, uh, an angel gets his wings. Mm-hmm. Because when he starts ringing his own cash register, he's like, I'm giving out wings. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes. I've laughed so hard. I, I don't remember that joke any other time I've heard it. I was like, fucking awesome. So stupid. So oh, good. I love it. So good. Uh, he, George, realizes it's no longer uh, Bedford Falls. Now Pottersville. Pottersville. Why, well, I think I know where I live? Yeah. Uh, Pottersville has basically become Vegas. Yeah. Oh, no. There's strippers and gambling now. <laughs> oh, whatever will we do? Uh, we see Violet get arrested. Yep. Um, I don't know what for. She does yell that that sailor was lying. Yeah. So it either she stole from him. I've always been under the assumption that she's a lady of the night. That's exactly the term I was about to use. That's good. Um, Yeah, I think the latter is implied. But again, at the time, they wouldn't be able to imply it too heavily. No, not at all. Uh, So they do. I think they get the point across well enough because that's the that's the impression I got. Yeah, which makes me sad. But if if she's that hot, she probably made a lot of money, so she didn't need to borrow any more. But whatever. Yeah. George is starting to freak out, yells for Ernie to take him home. Ernie, I don't even know who you are, (laughs) realizes, rightfully so, that this guy in his cab might be a little off. Ain't right. Motions to Bert. I love that they have, he just slaps the side of his cab. He's like, yo, get over here. This is the signal, follow me. (laughs) (laughs) The international signal for, I have a crazy fucking person in my cab right now. <clears throat> Bert follows him. Goes home. The Granville house is back to being a dilapidated wreck. A draft. It, now it really is a drafty. It's a drafty barn. George is losing his mind. I can't even imagine what this would be like in real life. To go to your home. And realize that you never existed to rebuild it, and yeah. that it is now in shambles. Yeah, and all these people in this small town who you love and admire and have been a part of your life don't recognize you. Wouldn't it be funny if this movie took place in, like, New York City or something and it took him, like, five years to realize he never existed? And he never runs into anyone he knew? <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to his mom's place. Ma Bailey's Boarding house? Yeah, boarding house. She doesn't recognize him. Mm -mm. I can't imagine that kind of devastation. Your own mother. mother. No. Mm -mm. That one hurt a little, I won't lie. Yeah, that stings. I wasn't anticipating it. I've I've seen this movie quite a few times, but this time I was like, oh. Ma, don't you know who I am? It's George. (laughs) George who? I'm like, oh. (laughs) And she's mean. Yeah. Yeah. She's a bitter old woman. Well, I mean, her son died. Her only son. Yeah. Because I guess she kept it to just just two kids. Yep. Or just one in this reality. 
So we find Harry died. <laughs> and then all those people on the plane died. No, yep. boat. Uh, transport. transport. I, I think it's just uh, implied it's a ship, but yeah. a transport. They all died because Harry wasn't there to save him. Mm-hmm. Because George wasn't there to save Harry. Yep. Clarence. Genius. So he goes to find the one person that won't recognize him. Mary. Am I alone? (laughs) It's just really funny, the order of events here. He's gone from not being recognized at his pub of choice to realizing his home is no longer there to realizing his own mother doesn't recognize him, to realizing his brother is dead. And then we just find out that Mary's a librarian. I'm just like, pressure to lead with that, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like, the order of events is a little a little off here. Yeah. He's super creepy here. <laughs> yes. Chases her down. Mary, don't you know me, Mary? She is rightfully freaked the fuck out. I believe that scream from Donna Reed. Me too. I know she's a great actress, but that felt that felt authentic. Yeah. George, George snaps. He, he's lost it. He can't handle this. Now, we do see... Well, probably not the start, but an accurate representation of American police forces' uh, response to things like this by opening fire on him into a in, crowd. Into a crowd. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the police. Ah. Don't worry, they've figured it out in the last 75 years, probably. Good. <laughs> I was about to say something. <laughs> probably best I don't. Yeah, for sure. All right. He goes back to the bridge. He has now realized that his life wasn't as bad as he thought. And that now I don't get the impression that George fully learned what Clarence was trying to teach him. That I always felt that George realized that his life was worth it. I still don't feel that he realizes how important he is to everybody mm-hmm. until we get to the ending. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. I think he understands in that moment on the bridge that the world he is currently in, where he didn't exist, uh, is worse, objectively worse off than the world where he did exist. He understands that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's not until he gets back home that he realizes, like, wow, I've really positively affected these people. Yeah. Starts to snow, which signalizes, which signalizes, <laughs> signifies. It's late. <laughs> it is late, which signifies that we are back to reality. Hmm. Pulls in his pocket. He's got Zuzu's pedals. Right. Now, Zuzu pedals means something <laughs> Zuzu pedals to me okay because of this horrible film that I loved as a kid oh the movie is <laughs> the movie's called the adventures of Ford Fairlane never heard of it you wouldn't you wouldn't do you know the stand-up comedian Andrew Dice Clay I do mostly because of you I mean I've heard of him and I'm vaguely aware of his general shtick okay 
So Andrew Dice Clay was a massive comedian superstar mm-hmm. in the early 90s. <clears throat> massive. Like like Kevin Hart big. Hmm. <clears throat> if I'm not mistaken, I think Andrew Dice Clay is the first stand-up comedian to sell out Madison Square Garden. Wow. The Adventures of Ford Fairlane was his movie vehicle. Let's get this guy in a movie. I loved the movie. I haven't rewatched it. I guarantee you if I rewatch it, I'm going to be devastated. He plays a private detective named Ford Fairlane. He's basically just... Andrew Dice is basically just playing himself. One of the characters' names in the movie is Zuzu Petals. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's the connection? That's the connection. Now, the funny thing is, is that I saw Ford Fairlane before I saw this movie. Oh, boy. <laughs> Zuzu Petals, if I'm not mistaken, in the movie is, like, the stripper name of a girl that he's trying to save in the movie. Gotcha. Now... I want to watch that movie. I, I, if I can find it somewhere, I'm going to watch it. Care to hazard a guess on the Metascore? Uh, I'm going to go 23. So earlier tonight, we talked about the uh, Metascore of Emoji Movie. What was that? 12. 12? Okay. Yeah. So this is higher than that. You said 23? I did. Pretty good, man. 24. Yeah. I figured. Yeah. Um, not good. That's not good. No. I... I can you quickly can you quickly just jump on a letterbox and see if it's playing anywhere? Because it does tell you what it's on. Sure. Because oh, we can use that feature now because we're both pro members. I want to. Uh, I I really want to revisit this movie. I, I, I'll do this last thing, even though it makes no sense for me to share it. But I'm gonna share it now because you're still looking something up for me. There's an. No, I'm not gonna share. There's an, I'm not gonna share. But one of the other re- one of the other reasons I liked that movie is the actor Robert England is in it who mm. played Freddy Krueger. Oh, okay. Right. So it had another, that makes sense. Connection for you. Yeah, it had another actor in it that I liked. Uh, I don't quite have Letterbox set up just yet with all my personal services. I can see it available on DVD on Amazon. That's the only place. for for ten bucks. That's the only link that it gave me off okay. of that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it just came up with we couldn't find any sources for you to watch. That's the error message I'm getting on All right. uh, Letterboxd right now. Fair enough. Find it on DVD or Blu-ray at Amazon.ca. <laughs> well, it was directed by Rennie Harlan. Is that someone? Uh, he directed uh, Die Hard 2. Uh, <laughs> and we've come full circle. Um, where are we at in, in this movie? Yeah, it is just on Amazon. Hey, yeah. curses! All right, I think I'll, I, I, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna buy it. <laughs> I bet you are. Hundred <laughs> percent. Um, one of the things I love about his is his reality. Or sorry, uh, when he realizes he's back to his reality, mm. how stoked he is. My lips bleeding, Bert. My lips bleeding. <laughs> that I love. But my favorite part is, and I, I was this close to about to do it for you because this isn't obviously for us a video, but when he gets to the sign where it says Bedford Falls and he just fucking pumps his arm up yeah. like this. <laughs> I fucking love it. It makes me giggle so hard. It's awesome. 
Oh, George Bailey excited is one of the great moments in, in film. Mm. Um, he returns home. He's doing the over-the-top, I'm excited about everything. He's excited to be arrested. He's excited about everything. Mm-hmm. He grabs his kids. Uh, he kisses the knob on the banister that keeps falling off. Yeah. Love it. The worst part of the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's here when he has his kids. Uh, I can feel the tears start to come. I know what's about to happen. I can start to feel them welling up. It's not yet for me. No? It's not until... Uh, I mean, I've mentioned many times before on the podcast, I'm, I'm quite close with my brother. And brotherly relationship, mm. when Harry comes in, and in particular when he says the line uh, to my big brother George, the richest man in town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's the point of no return for me. Uh, all the money that comes in, is this the first instance of crowdfunding? Must be. <laughs> this is what uh, what all those websites wish they could be. I'm trying to think of one of the crowdfunding websites right now. Is that uh, GoFundMe? GoFundMe is one. There yeah. we go. Um, I, this this scene is just over so overwhelmingly positive and full of love. And the reason the reason that I cry at this every time is the same reason I cry at the Oscars. George Bailey is being recognized for the work he's done. And so everybody is there and will I'm going to start crying. Mm-hmm. I can I can literally feel it in my eyes. He is <clears throat> being recognized for all the hard work he's done and everybody that he's helped is more than happy to help pick this man up at his lowest point. As he's picked up all of them yes. at one point or another. And I think one of the other reasons that this this scene means so much to me is that I've had this happen to me, not in a financial way, but when I was at my lowest, I've, oh, I am going to cry. <laughs> I've had a whole bunch of people come and I am going to cry. I, I, they have come help pick me up. Mm-hmm. And like I've said numerous times as much as i hate him t-bone has been at the forefront of that (laughs) and i will never be able to repay him for what he's done Mm -hmm. for me and so this this scene with this is so emotionally gratifying for me that it just it completely overwhelms me tears uh tears i think the hardest this scene has ever gotten me uh like it gets me pretty regularly but the hardest it's ever gotten me was my first christmas i spent away from kamloops when i moved to when i moved to calgary and i was really missing my family and i was really missing all of my friends and i was just i (laughs) now now i feel like i'm gonna start crying (laughs) i was just in such a place where i felt so lonely Mm -hmm. and Yes, the line where Harry Bailey shows up and says, Richest Man in Town, that whole line I just said, that usually is the part that gets me. But then when he when he opens up the card and it says, no man is poor who uh, who has friends or something like that, that just like waterworks. I was not like ugly cry, sniffles and snot, just disgusting. A toast to George, tears streaming down my face and the movie's over. Uh, Old Lang Syne. Oh, the perfect song for this to end on. 
I don't know what it's about. You don't know what it's about. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's an emotional song. And uh, I found out that Old Lang Syne is Old Scotch for, uh, uh, it's roughly translated Old Long Since, um, which even loosely translated would be uh, For Old Time's Sake is the name of the song. Um, Yeah, I want to actually just point out uh, oh, sorry, Manny. You, you said that, no, go ahead, and uh, I will remember this point. I, I wanted to uh, bring attention to this. Uh, did you watch? You watched Friends, didn't you? Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted one of my favorite references to this movie in all of pop culture is Phoebe uh, in Friends. She realizes one episode that her mom, when when Phoebe was a kid, her mom would shut off sad movies before <laughs> the end. Yes. So like, she discovers the true ending to Old Yeller yes. and is just distraught. And, like, starts rewatching all these movies, like, Bambi, that her mom was, like, shut it off after the opening because uh, Bambi's parents die. Yeah. And all that stuff. So, Monica gives her It's a Wonderful Life to watch. She's like, this will completely reignite your faith in humanity. <laughs> but Phoebe shuts it off before the end. So, she only sees the bad stuff that happens to George Bailey. So, uh, uh Phoebe says, yeah, thanks for the great movie tip. Oh, yeah, I didn't know if I was happier when George Bailey destroyed the business or Donna Reed cried or when the mean pharmacist made his ear bleed. And Monica says, all right, I'll give you the ear thing. But didn't you think the ending was pretty wonderful? And Phoebe says, I didn't watch the ending. I was too depressed. Just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> it should have been called It's a Sucky Life. And just when you think it can't suck anymore, it does. <laughs> I have always loved that quote. Ugh. <laughs> What I was going to say, and I'm glad I didn't derail you, but this will be a little difficult. For you and I, it's happening back-to-back because we just recorded School of Rock prior yeah. to this. Well, this will be a couple weeks. You mentioned that Immigrant Song means more to you uh, in School of Rock, and then you hear it in Thor Ragnarok, and you're like, nah, it doesn't really deserve to be there. Old Lang Syne for me is from When Harry Met Sally. Ah, yes. I watched that before I saw this. So you're resentful. I'm not like, resentful. Like 44 years <laughs> in retrospect, you're like, they don't deserve this. It's not, I'm not to the point you are. Yeah. But when I hear Old Lang Syne, I think of When Harry I, Met I Sally. I get what you're saying. I do yeah. not. Th- I, I still don't think. Of I this 100% movie. think of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. Definitely. I, to be fair, I've only seen When Harry Met Sally the one time when you and I reviewed it. Yeah. Um, anything you want to talk about the film before we move on? Uh, I think that's pretty, pretty in depth. Uh, all right. Um, trivia, uh, as uncle Billy drunkenly leaves the Bailey home, it sounds as if he stumbles into some trash cans on a sidewalk. In fact, a crew member dropped a large tray of props right after Thomas Mitchell went off screen. James Stewart began laughing and Mitchell quickly improvised quote, I'm all right. I'm Okay. (laughs) Director Frank Capra decided to use this take in the final cut and gave the stagehand a $10 bonus for, quote, improving the sound. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the set for Bedford Falls, all of Bedford Falls is a set. Mm-hmm. The entire town is wild. <laughs> was constructed in two months and was one of the longest sets that was ever been made for an American movie. It covered four acres it included 75 stores and buildings, a main street, a factory district, and a large residential and slum area. Main Street was 300 yards long. <laughs> that seems like gross excess. Yeah. Like, couldn't you just, like, rent a city? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, 
Um, when filming the scene in which George prays in the bar, James Stewart was so overcome that he began to sob. Frank Capra later reframed and blew up the shot because he wanted to catch that expression on Stewart's face. This is why the shot looks so grainy compared to the rest of the film. I have never noticed that, but I will be on the watch for it next time. Along with, um, what was the other thing? Oh, uh, Jimmy Stewart being bald. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk, uh, talk, uh, talk about the snowflakes uh, that we mentioned. Uh, films made prior to this one used cornflakes painted white for the falling snow effect. Because the cornflakes were so loud, dialogue had to be dubbed in later. Frank Capra wanted to record the sound live, so a new snow effect was developed using fomite, a firefighting chemical, soap, and water. This mixture was then pumped at high pressure through a wind machine to create the silent falling snow. 6,000 gallons of the new snow were used in the film. The RKO effects department received a Class 3 Scientific or Technical Award from the Academy of Motion Picture and Science, Arts and Sciences, a.k.a. the Oscars, for the development of the new film, Snow. Way to go, It's a Wonderful Life. <clears throat> During the bank run scene... Uh, director Frank Capra rehearsed the scene between James Stewart and Ellen Corby several times. That's the last girl. Mm -hmm. um, when Corby's character was asked how much money she needed, she replied $17, which was in the script. Just prior to the first actual tank take, Capra took Corby aside and told her to give Stewart an odd number, thinking it would be funnier. When she said 1750 to Stewart, he was taken off guard and impulsively kissed her, which was not in the script. Stewart's spontaneous reply was so genuine, Capra left it in the film. Uh, <laughs> this made me laugh. In the post-production photo of all the cast and crew, James Stewart and director Frank Capra appear twice in the same photo. Weird. Once on the far left and another time on the far right. As it was a slow-taking panoramic picture, they ran to the other end before the pan reached that point. Oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. Um, actor and producer Sheldon Leonard said in an interview that he only agreed to play Nick the bartender so he would have money to buy baseball tickets. A man after our own heart. I know. That's why I put it in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know what team, though? That's the that's the crucial question. Because if it's for the Yanks, then he can fuck himself. Uh, well, they were in L.A., so. That's true. Pro we're probably, well, did the Dodgers? No. Dodgers hadn't moved yet. No. Nope. Not from Brooklyn. Uh, so probably the Giants. Nope. Had they moved yet? I don't think nope. they moved yet. I don't think, think there was baseball in, so it would have been a minor league team. Oh, hey, yeah. Weird. Most likely. But he does have that Eastern accent, so it could have been the Yanks. Who knows? Uh, I put this in here, and you'll know why as soon as I say it. 42 rings are heard over the course of the film. So if Clarence is right, 42 angels have gotten their wings. Yeah, you, of course, put that in because of your love for uh, Into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, it's because of Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Uh, I can only find one casting what if. Uh, and the part of George Bailey was originally developed at another studio with Cary Grant earmarked for the role. I don't know if I could name you a Cary Grant role. Mm, North by Northwest? Okay, haven't seen it, but okay. Okay. Uh, favorite quote? I have nine. Okay. <clears throat> First one is up. Clarence, strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Very nice. Number two is Clarence. Remember, George, no man is a failure who has friends. Even though that's, he didn't say it. It's the in-book inscription. I have that in mind, too. It's okay. All right. <laughs> uh, number three is from Zuzu Bailey. Look, Daddy, teacher says 
Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Nice. <laughs> Next up is George. What is it you want, Mary? What do you want? You want the moon? Just say the word, and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Hey, that's a pretty good idea. I'll give you the moon, Mary. My heart. George again. This is a very interesting <laughs> situation. Cool. <laughs> Mr. Potter. George, I'm an old man, and most people hate me. But I don't like them either, so that makes it all even. <laughs> okay. This is from Nick. Get me! I'm giving out wings! I let... For some reason, this watch, it really hit me that he said, get me, and not look at me. Like, it just struck me. I was like, wow, there really is 75 years between us and this movie. <laughs> Language has evolved. Uh, a little uh, back and forth between Clarence and George. I'm Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. Hey, what's an AS2? Angel. Second class. <laughs> and last one from George. Well, here's your hat. What's your hurry? <laughs> um i have seven all right one is right off the beginning i don't know why this has always struck me as so cute it's right at the beginning of the movie uh oh boy is he sick no he's discouraged <laughs> or no worse he's discouraged i think is the actual line um number two what is it you want mary you want the moon just say the word and i'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down hey that's a pretty good idea i'll give you the moon mary uh number three Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Number four, a toast, a toast, a toast to Mama Dollar and to Papa Dollar. And if you want to keep this old building and loan in business, you better have a family real quick. <laughs> uh, number five, strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? Number six, a toast to my brother George, the richest man in town. Oh. Lovely. And number seven, no man is a failure who has friends. Sam, what's your favorite quote? God, this is so tough. Um, normally, it would probably be no man is a failure who has friends, because that just gets me every fucking time. Um, but for some reason, this time with us talking about it, the, the quote about the lassoing the moon is so cute, and I love it. My initial choice... And it's all on the delivery, which I can't do justice. As you know, I like to do really bad impersonations of the movies that we watch. I do know that. <laughs> <laughs> I try my best to make them entertaining. Um, George saying this is a very interesting situation had me busting a gut when I watched it. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to pick that. But because of our situation, it's just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull mm. it down. Yeah. I'll give you the moon, Mary. I, I can't get enough of that. Favorite scene, I have seven. Okay. Um, George goes to Mary's when he's being an asshole. Yep. Uh, George walks Mary home. I'm including both the walk past the old Granville place and the um, last swing of the moon. And the, this is a very interesting situation. That's all fine. together. Yep. Uh, honeymoon at the Waldorf. Uh, the run on the bank. Mm -hmm. Everyone saving George at the end. So the ending. Um George going to Potter for help. Oh, good call. Uh, and Clarence and George meet. So inside the shack. Oh, nice. Well, there's some good picks. We have a decent amount of overlap. I have six. Uh, I have the walk home from the dance with Mary. I included all the stuff in that that you did. Um, one that we kind of breezed by, but I really like George's conversation at the dinner table with his dad, mm -hmm. where he's trying to gently let his dad know that this life is not for him. Um, number three, I have the run on the bank. 
Number four, George Mary's Honeymoon. Uh, number five, George Praying and Martinis. Oh, nice. Uh, and number six, uh, The Town Arrives at George's. Nice. I think we have the same one. Do we? I. It's definitely between two for me. Okay. It's The Walk Home for me. I I can't... I don't know. It's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I. This is one of the biggest coin flips I guess I've ever had because the walk home is such a beautiful scene but the amount of tears that have been shed over the ending of this movie is is a lot yeah uh I think I am gonna lean towards the ending okay but that that lassoing the moon scene is also just chef's kiss there's just so much I love about that walk I love the connection between them I love the lassoing the moon scene I love the comedy of when her robe falls off Mm -hmm. I, I don't fault you. That the fucking ending is so amazing. But I had such a great time with the walk home that I'm I'm gonna go and and like the everything about also at the house where she unwishes his wish. Yeah. I yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. I love your pick. Closing credits. Are there any Oscar worthy performances in this film? Jimmy Stewart was nominated. Yes. Uh was Donna Reed? She was not. But Unfortunately, unlike most of the movies we have, we would have an understanding of the other people that were nominated. Well, you would have it. <laughs> well, for the most part, you yeah. know some of them. Yeah. Um, sadly, I don't. I've seen none. I'm going to go ahead best, and guess I've seen none. The best supporting actress. Uh, and in fact, I only know two of the actresses alone. Uh, I only know Anne Baxter and Ethel Barrymore. Uh, I don't know who Lillian Gish is or Flora Robinson or Gail Sundergaard for their roles because Donna Reed is a supporting actress. Yes. Um, so you know what? I'm putting her in there. Let's I think go. She, Donna I, Reed. I think she's amazing. Uh, Lionel Barrymore supporting? 100%, 100%. Let's go. 100%. Now, in the best supporting actor, I only know one of the actors, as do you, Claude Rains. Yes. Like, you mean you know one of the one of the actors, actors not, not one of the performance. performances. Yeah. Uh Let's see. Because we know him from Casablanca, yeah. correct? Yeah. So I'll leave Claude Rains in. Uh, I'm going to take out Clifton Webb. I'm just kidding. I don't care. Lionel <laughs> Barrymore is in for sure. Definitely. Um, and, and I think that's the only... I, I don't have Clarence in there. Uh, I don't have any of the other supporting actors, I don't think. Um, I'm going to put Gloria Graham in as well for Best Supporting Actress for Violet. Nice. Cool. Yep. Putting her in. Don't Every, care. Get everybody in here. Yep. Uh, what other aspects of the film are award-worthy? So it got nominated for sound, film editing, which is funny because I actually saw a pretty bad, a couple bad edits. There's one really bad scene between Uncle Billy and uh, and Mr. Potter mm-hmm. uh, at the bank when yes. when uh, when Billy's taunting him. That scene is super choppily edited. I have no idea what happened there. Yeah. Um. Best cinematography, black and white. There was only two nominations that year. Mm. So they had a 50-50 shot. So I'll put it in there. Yeah, why not? Um, it did get nominated for editing. Uh, art direction? I mean, they did build a fucking city. Yeah. You know, you know what? I am going to give it for art direction because only upon research did I know that that wasn't a real city. Totally. So fuck it. I'm putting it in there. Uh, do you consider the snow to be a special effect? Do we have a category at this point, by the way, for special effects? Yeah. Um, best art direction, black and white. No. Cinematography. Best special yes. effects. One, yes, it two would. nominees for special effects. Yeah, it would be a special effect. Because I was trying to think. I'm like, because I'm thinking in my mind, obviously, I'm thinking like. Visual like effects. Visual effects. But 
like Independence Day, mm-hmm. the movie Independence Day, I'm pretty sure it was nominated for Best Special Effects, but like all the blow, like the for the miniatures, the miniatures. Mostly. Yeah. So the, this, like the snow, but the the snow was the only special effect. Yeah, I mean, there's only two nominations for Best Special Effects yeah. that year. Eh, I don't don't have an opinion on the score because I don't remember it. It's funny. I have never paid attention to the score in this movie. It strikes me as very overdramatic, but, like, that's just kind of the style of scores of the day. Like, lots of really dramatic cues. Um, Like, when we get a close-up on Jimmy Stewart when he's about to leave the building and loan. When somebody says to him, but they'll give the building and loan to Potter when he's about to leave uh, the city. There's like a huge dramatic score cue. And yeah. It comes off as cheesy in retrospect, but at the time it was just what you did. What was the weak link of the film? Um, Is it? Okay, we never, I don't know if we really ever expanded on this, but do you, do you agree with me about the pacing that it's like a little, it's a little weird that Clarence doesn't show up to like the very end? Is a little strange? No. No? Okay. I understand why you'd say that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to disagree. Okay. Because the movie is about setting up this man's life so we can understand the impact of it, of him not being there. Sure. So you have to take that whole time to set up his life. Okay. So, I can get that. Yeah. Okay. So then weak link. I don't have one. I'm not really sure. Um, I don't have one. Slut shaming. <laughs> slut shaming is the weak link of this movie Uh-oh. child abuse <laughs> child abuse that's the, yeah the weak link of this movie is child abuse <clears throat> honestly though um true weak link uh jimmy stewart coming on a little strong with Dom- donna reed in the uh in the scene where he goes to vin- visit her house i don't know why that scene makes me uncomfortable when okay he, when he like kisses her a little too strong and yeah it's just that scene all right i'll go with it hmm. was this anyone's career highlight uh, I mean, Jimmy Stewart was in Vertigo, which, as far as I know, is considered one of, if not the greatest movie of all time, right? No? Well, this is number 11. Is Vertigo in the top 10? Uh, for some reason, I had... I think one of the one of the lists has Vertigo in number one, but it's not this one. Nope. So, never mind. Um, like, yeah. How do you beat number 11? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, probably then. I mean, this is the movie that still gets talked about. I would say I'd have to say that this is. It's probably everyone's. I mean, Frank Capra. I know what. What was the Frank Capra had one other big movie, right? Mister Washington. Mister Wash. Mister Smith goes to Washington, mm. which stars Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But th- which I'm almost positive is on this list again. Let's see if I can find it quickly. Okay, it's not there. Is it in the top fifty? Yep, there it is, 29. <laughs> Capra has two in the top 30. I would go on a limb and say this is probably just about everyone's career highlight. Frank Capra, Jimmy Stewart, uh, Donna Reed. But Donna Reed won an Oscar for a different movie. Uh, From Here to Eternity. Oh, that's then that's it. From Here to Eternity. While not as high as It's a Wonderful Life, I'm sure it's on the list. She was also... Uh, on the Donna Reed show from 1958 to 1966. Yeah, I saw that as well. Mm. Okay, from here to eternity. Oh, did it not make it anymore? Oh, there it is, number 52. So she won an Oscar, and she's in another movie that's in the top 100 of all time. So, 
Could, while, while this is more well known, winning an Oscar in a highly acclaimed movie that's considered an all-time classic. We can go with From Here to Eternity. I'm on board. Barrymore also won an Oscar. For what movie though? Uh, we listed it earlier. I can't I remember what it was. I think it's a movie I didn't know. Yeah, uh, A Free Soul. A Free Soul. Okay, no. Oh, he was also nominated for Best Director. Well done. <laughs> I'm still going to go with this. Yeah, Mr. Potter still better. Okay. Um, MVP of the film. Uh, Jimmy Stewart. Not Capra? Maybe. I don't know. Jimmy St- this movie works on a lot of different levels for a lot of different reasons, but I don't know if this has any other leading man in the front, if you can capture that shameless optimism that has given it the lasting power that it has. I can get on board with the Capra pick, but like, I mean, I also don't know a lot about the, like what kind of actors were in the forties. So I can't give you an alternate casting, but I, this is such a signature Jimmy Stewart performance in my mind. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you thinking? Well, there's the term Capra-esque, which basically leads to everybody thinking this, about movie. this movie. It's true. I can I can get on board with the Capra pick. I can get on board with the Jimmy Stewart yeah, pick. So yeah, uh, I'm forcing a, I'm forcing a pick. I'm I'm gonna go with Capra. Give me Stewart. Okay. Give me Jimmy. Okay. What will be this film's legacy? Um, a Christmas classic. A one one of the recent weeks we talked about the definition of a sleeper hit yeah is that this no this would technically this would be a cult film hmm. I like right? that one that's one that's rediscovered later on mm-hmm. a sleeper hit is a movie that's not expected right. to be good and it's still a hit yeah. yeah it's still a hit at the time yeah yeah, like so a sleeper, this, uh, uh, the best definition of a sleeper hit is my best, uh, my my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah, there's That's, one that was not expected to be big. It's it on a, nobody's radar and it is a massive, massive sensation. Yeah, um, I would say the uh, legacy of this movie is, it's a Christmas classic, and one of the greatest films ever made. Apparently, yeah. Would you watch this movie again? Yep, gonna watch it next year. <laughs> I'm probably gonna watch it again this year. Probably me too. Would you recommend this movie to friends? I do. I don't. Have I ever recommended this movie? I must have. I think I recommended this to Emma last year, last Christmas. Awesome. Yeah. Of course, I would recommend this movie to friends. I would be stunned hmm. to meet somebody that hasn't seen. Just it. make sure they watch the ending, so they don't think it's a sucky life. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, your final thoughts on It's a Wonderful Life. What else can we say that hasn't been said already? This is a movie that will restore your faith in humanity when you have one. It's one that will make you thankful for what you have. It's one that will make you look at the big picture and realize the effect that you have on people and the effect that other people have had on you. It'll make you think about family. It'll make you think about friends. It'll make you think about your sacrifices. Um, And it'll warm the cold empty heart inside you and if it doesn't you're probably an irredeemable human being <laughs> as cold as lionel barrymore so oh. it's a wonderful life is a brilliant film while i think 11 on the afi is a little that's high, a little high little high i still think that this is one of the greatest movies ever made this 
is a absolute delight. Every time I watch it, I seem to latch onto a different part. Uh, I know watching it, I really latched on to the comedic elements during our discussion. I fucking latched on to Potter hard. Yeah, definitely. Big fan of this. There's so much to like about this movie. <clears throat> That's not even talking about how incredibly heartwarming this movie will make you feel. It does make you believe in the goodness of people and the goodness of community. And it makes you wish that more people could be like George Bailey. I love everything about this movie. It's just an absolute treasure. I'm so glad that we decided to do this movie. Sammy? What's your rating on It's a Wonderful Life? It's a five, Manny. I fucking love this movie. It made my top 20 of all time, so there's no surprises there. It's not without its flaws. It's not without parts that I think haven't aged particularly well, but if you can get past those, this is a movie that has something in it for everybody, and I love it. Five stars. This is a five for me. <laughs> like, come on. This movie is just brilliant from mm -hmm. start to finish. Easy, easy five. Sam, do you know what's going on next week? I'm frantically trying to find it, but I can't. Can you, uh, <laughs> we didn't plan this out beforehand. Manny, what's, hold on. Wait, is it? No, I can't remember. Next week is Con Air. Right, because we did the thing. Yeah. Yes, we switched it. Yeah, so next week, uh, off the back of the success, we think, of our Halloween episode, uh, where we talked about the, uh, quote, movie, end quote, <laughs> Halloween Town. Fuck you, Abby. <laughs> uh, we did a live commentary for that one, and I we had a lot of fun doing it. Mm -hmm. um, was feedback generally positive on that? Yeah, yeah. There, the feedback we got um, leads me to the changes that we're making. Okay. Which um, the people seem to like it. They said we don't want you to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that they did mention is that it would be better if we had seen the movie prior. Mm -hmm. So I've seen this movie numerous times. So I will have prepared some trivia and some thoughts and stuff like that. So Sam will be going off the cuff. So he kind of gets the easy job. He just gets to show up and watch a movie and Sick. run his mouth. That's um, the perfect job for me. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm like, Sam, do you want to do something you don't have to prepare for? Let me think about that one. No preparation, I guess. You're like, I don't even have to watch the movie before we record? That was an easy yes. So an so easy yes on that one. I will be doing the work and uh, throwing in little tidbits and some fun stuff while Sam will get a chance to watch... Uh, uh, an action movie? Let's That's the descriptor you've gone with? Let's okay. go there. I was yeah. going to say an action classic, but... Oh, that would be a stretch. It is a stretch. It, it's not... I don't think it's considered a classic, but I I think... I shouldn't even say think. Uh, I think you're going to have a really good time. I think we will have a good time. I think we're going to have a I think we're going to have a good time reviewing this movie. Whether or not I like the movie, I have no idea. I have no idea whether I'll like it. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Hmm. It'll be interesting. So, we have Con Air coming up next week. 
Okay. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast. allows more people to find us. We truly appreciate each and every one of you that listens to us. It means the world to us. Any feedback you want to give us, if you have a movie you'd like for us to review, if you want to chime in on anything, if you have any ideas for the show, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us several different ways. You can contact us through Instagram or Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at sammannymoviepodcast at gmail.com or you can contact us through our Facebook page, which if you just search the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast, you will find us. For the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. No man is a failure who has friends. Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.